Hey, do you have an interesting story to tell about your life or your business and how you got into it? Maybe you know somebody who does, or maybe you've got an idea about a topic that might be interesting or funny to have a conversation about. Hey, if you do, shoot me an email to info at you don't say dot net. Again, that's info at you don't say dot net or post a comment on our Facebook page. We're at YDS Stories. Again, that's YDS Stories on Facebook. And hey, maybe I'll be talking to you soon. You know, aren't there enough things that cost an arm and a leg when you're running a business? There's really no reason you should be spending five grand or more for a website unless it's doing some pretty whiz-bang stuff. With Squarespace, you don't have to, even with some whiz-bang. With plans starting as low as 12 bucks a month for a personal website, Squarespace has a library of professionally designed templates to start from with easy-to-use tools that let you customize your site to fit your brand. So get that site going today. Just go to you don't say.net, look for the Squarespace logo on the homepage, click on it, and when you check out, put in the code PARTNER10, again, that's PARTNER10, you'll save 10% off your first subscription on a website or a domain. And if you need help with your site, drop Left Brain Right Brain Marketing a call at lbrbm.com. Squarespace, it's the shortest, most cost-effective distance between here and success. This is Drew Zagorski. You're listening to You Don't Say. Thanks for that. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to podcasts or at youdontsay.net and share with your family, friends, and everyone else you know. So here's the story. At a certain point in our lives, we all reach a place where we finally get a hold of understanding ourselves. And that comes through a lot of trial and error and just a lot of gut instincts. That is, some of it is exploring the world and people around us, and much more of it is based on traits we were born with. As someone who's played a lot of sports, I can say I was better at some than at others. Some came naturally, others took practice or trying them out to see if I was interested in pursuing them. The bottom line is you begin to know yourself. You see a sport and at a certain point, you know you could excel at it and others just aren't for you based on the skills you see displayed on the field or wherever. You just know who you are as an athlete. I also believe we know who we are as humans at a pretty early age. We're born one way or another, left-handed, right-handed, tall, short, fast, slow, and yeah, straight or gay or other in terms of sexuality. I believe, and a lot of science and research backs this up, that people are born that way. But I also believe our world is very nuanced. So I also believe that possibly some percentage, a small one, of people choose their sexuality and preferences based on what life dished up for them. I mean, I can see how someone who grew up with a severely abusive parent or was sexually abused at a young age by some person of authority might just through their trauma choose to go a certain way. And who could blame them based on what they've experienced? But again, my guess is that group of folks is probably just a sliver of a percentage. So the majority of folks are born and wired a certain way the second they enter the world. The sad part of it is that this world can be a pretty horrible place to be different or at the beginning of your discovery of yourself. Humans can be, well, not very accepting or understanding, and in a lot of cases, straight up cruel and even violent to people who don't fit the mold of what they believe to be quote-unquote normal. Someone's different, so they get beat up during recess. It's what our world is, unfortunately. A lot of people would rather put a gun in someone's hand than see them love whoever they choose to love or have the freedom to live their lives in peace, simply just being themselves. Or, based on religious convictions, some people might condemn others for those differences rather than embracing them and loving them as they are like that fella in the robes from the Middle East did 2,000 years ago. I mean, isn't that part of what made him divine? Think about that for a second. 
And you know what? I bet there's a lot of Bible thumpers out there who will say that nowhere in the scriptures does it say anything about LGBTQ whatever being how God wanted it. And my response is this. Maybe, just maybe, God felt like being specific about it wasn't necessary since he gave us all a divine spark, right? And maybe, just maybe, we'd actually try to live out that love one another thing that's at the core of almost every religion on this planet. Anyway, this is why a lot of people who can know their true selves and for the reasons of intolerance or hate even, keep their truth closeted from the world. There's a reason coming out of the closet is a thing. To me, that's sad. See, Gay and trans and bisexual folks have been in this world forever. I mean, if you get a chance to ride on a time machine, your head's going to spin if you stopped in ancient Greece or the Roman Empire or, let's face it, pretty much anywhere throughout our history. So, okay, the time machine isn't going to be pulling up out front for you. So just invest a little time to read some history. You'll see. It's all there. But living that genuine life is not as easy as it sounds. Today, too many young people are confused about their sexuality. Okay, maybe not confused about it at all, but confused about how to share that with their families and friends, and these kids sink into depression or sadly end up harming themselves or even dying by suicide. And you know what? It's not really just young people. It's people of all ages who struggle with this, which to me is a sad statement about our world. To me, love is love and each their own. The story today is about someone who was born in 1945. They grew up in that Don Draper, men are men and women are glad about it kind of world. He had a pretty average life for a kid, played sports, grew up, took a wife, and raised a family. And he had a marriage that spanned decades and saw his wife through her slow and painful leave-taking. Yet, throughout all of that, he wasn't living his authentic life. He knew himself, but that self wasn't allowed back in the 50s and 60s. So he put that part, the part at the core, aside in an attempt to conform. But don't get me wrong, he loved life. He loved his wife and his kids and wouldn't trade any of that for anything. But still, during those years, Hank couldn't be Elizabeth. Elizabeth couldn't live her best life. So, Elizabeth, thank you for joining me and sharing your story. I really appreciate that. And what I want to do is begin at the beginning. You were born in 1945. Right. Tell me about your early years, your home life, your childhood, if you can kind of do it in a, a Reader's Digest version. I just want to give the foundation of people how you came up. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Sure. Uh, when I was, I was born in 1945, um, actually, I was a preemie when I was born. The okay. doctors didn't expect me to live, uh, and, but I did. At any rate, uh, that's another story coming up, but uh, I have always had uh, uh, questions as to whether what was going on in my life, because even as three years old, I wanted to wear cl- uh, girls' clothing. Okay. And, uh, and in fact, <laughs> I was next door, uh, the, the lady next door did not keep, well, she was not a good housekeeper. So underneath their steps where we were playing was a whole bunch of clothing. I mean, just a mound of clothing. Okay. And I found a pair of, of uh, underwear that was the little girl we were playing with. So I quietly stuck it in my pocket and went home. Well, mom found it and made me take it back. But then I kept wanting to wear clothing and I couldn't ever figure this one out. Yeah. So I'll fast forward, um, get up uh, to about 10 or 11 years old and a neighbor 
he says, hey, let's get into girls' clothing and come out. Oh, all right. Okay. You know, I think I kept thinking, well, this is going to be weird. So I right. went in. I said, hey, mom, uh, Terry wants to get dressed up in girls' clothing. Okay, okay. Here, do this and this. And I started putting on the clothing. I thought, well, what's really weird is, is that I'm very comfortable wearing this clothing. Yeah. So out I go. <laughs> and of course, all the neighborhood kids are all making fun of us and so on and so forth. Yeah. And we were out there for about 15 minutes and, and then just everything kind of calmed down. So I went back home to change. And uh, mom looked at me. She says, anytime you want to wear cl- uh, my clothing like that, you know, you let me know. Okay. So, so she was pretty progressive for the time. She was very progressive for the time and very astute because even uh, when I was a, uh, old, early in, in third, three or four years old, we went down to the Rose Parade and uh, she asked me, she says, what's your favorite part of the Rose Parade? And I said, the marching girls. Okay. So she didn't say anything. She just kind of, she's kind of like kept everything quietly in her heart. Yeah. And I keep doing all of these weird things to where I want to wear women's clothing. Right. But I'm a guy. Right. Well, yes. So go ahead. So, so yeah, you, I mean, being born in 1945, you, you came up in, in a kind of a traditional Don Draper, men are men and women are glad for that yeah. kind of environment. How did your father was, was he dialed into what you were kind of about uh, or well not so much he was very a very loving father so he, i mean he, he i think he just kind of quietly tolerated it yeah but see we played baseball and that was right. his love and i loved baseball so that was our connection was baseball yeah and, and, and you still do oh yeah, yeah. uh but we we had, but anyway uh but mom was the one that was carefully watching all of this. Okay. And um, so, okay, uh, I get into, into high school. Uh, I still occasionally, I still say, gee, I want to wear women's clothing, but I stuff it down because I'm a guy. Right. Guys don't do that. Right. So in high school, I go through that. It's, I'm growing up. It's when I get to college that it really erupts again. And there are times when I'd be walking down the street going to class at Oregon State that I'd see a woman walking. And it wasn't the guys that say, oh, boy, look at that. Ah, ah, ah. And I'd look at her and say, geez, I wish I was her. Yeah. And so you would have been in college um, like 58, 59, 60, somewhere in there, right? Well, a little or, later. Or early, later, 60, early 60s. Well, actually, I graduated from high school in 63. So I was down okay. Oregon State between 63, 67. Okay. And so this was kind of a, an awakened uh, sexual revolution kind of a place, right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, not necessarily at Oregon State, but, but certainly down in, in, in California, Berkeley yeah. and so on around the nation. Yeah. Yeah. Women are beginning to, to burn their bras and et cetera. Okay. And so in, in college, you certainly, if you, you were aware of these inklings 
at such a young age, by the time you got to college, you had to be pretty certain about where you were at with things or not really who you were. Not really. Not really. I, I just, I always considered that I was crazy. Okay. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, when you're living in a fraternity and you're living uh, with a bunch of guys, uh, you say to yourself, nah, I'm a guy. Right. Or, or the other thing too is <laughs> this is the part that gets kind of interesting is, is that I'd see a girl walking down the street and I'd say, Oh God, I wish I was her. And I get home and I look at myself in the mirror Ain't no way, Jose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no way could I even go get close. Then we were in PE, and I I looked up. The, we, we were there was kind of a hallway with a bunch of lockers, and I looked up, and there was a a guy who had a. He was smaller, but he had a woman's structure i mean the hourglass right I thought, oh god what's a woman doing in here turned out to be a guy and, yeah. and again i thought oh god i wish i was him or her yeah. so let's talk about that i mean i know from our conversations over the years you were you were a jock growing up played a lot of sports yeah and how how did that kind of play with your mind be in that really kind of hyper masculine space? How did you cope with it? Did you think any of your teammates had an idea about your truth? No, no, not really. It's you just, just a, pretty much suppressed it. Yeah, but but what occurred is that in high school, you know, the 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 jocks all kind of get together and they're they're they eat together, right? Right, I mean, right. I never did. I was a. I, I found my uh, my niche was with the debate squad. Okay. So I was always with the guys who were a little gentler, a little kinder, a little less rah rah rah, and that's the way I was. So, you know, get out there. You want to go out there and kill somebody when you play football? Well, I didn't want to kill anybody. I just went out to wanted to go out and play. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, so, and I was talented athletic-wise. Uh, I was a four-year letterman in baseball. Yeah. And, um, but then my shoulders started going bad. And that's when I uh, had reoccurring separations. So high school was a difficult four years. I had pretty much constant pain in my shoulders. Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't play the sports that I wanted to play. Couldn't play baseball. I loved baseball. Could not play baseball because... By the time I was a senior, I couldn't throw baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. It just, uh, you just keep, you kept pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. Right. Yeah. Cause I always thought, well, I'm nuts. I'm crazy. Okay. Well, we'll get to that bit in a second, but <laughs> we, we started to talk about your college experience and being away from home, having more freedom. And you mentioned you were in a frat. So there were, kind of probably eyes on you a lot uh from your uh fraternity brothers and that sort of thing but being that you were kind of out on your own did you ever kind of step out and uh experiment you know being in the community or yeah, yeah go out to clubs or anything like that no i was uh i majored in zoology Okay. <laughs> and that's not 
and that's not studying to become a, a, a an employee of a zoo. Right, that right. Is, uh, there's two parts of biology. One is botany, and the other is zoology, and I took the zoology end of it. Okay. Well, and it turns out I also have a reading disability. So I was in, what I did is I'd go down to class, I'd come back to the fraternity for lunch, walk back down to class, um, go into the library, come back home for dinner, walk back down to the, uh, after dinner, walk down to the library. And I was in the library until about 10 o'clock. So I okay. was constantly in the library or in class. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were times when I was uh, at Oregon State where I had 33 contact hours. Mm. In, I mean, I had three or four labs. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, the lectures and so on. And so I didn't have any and I didn't have much time to, to actually go out to clubs or anything like that. Right, right. Total opposite of my college experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're at Corvallis, it is not the biggest, you know, it's not the 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 uh, clubbish right. style around there. Besides that, Corvallis in the 60s, you didn't dare say you were gay or that you were transgendered. Right. Well, this is one of the things that um, people who have not been born and raised in Oregon don't realize because all you really hear about is Eugene and Portland. Right. And maybe maybe Bend or Ashland. Right. But Oregon as a state is a pretty conservative, tight tightly wound state would you agree i would agree very definitely would agree yeah Yeah. anyway um okay so you were just kind of in the books and and doing your thing in college um now before i go further and i ask these next questions if you want to not go there you don't have to just tell me oh no no go for it let's get you know we're in the ballpark let's let's okay take a home run and go for it Okay, so Elizabeth, you, as I mentioned in my opening comments, you lived a male life. Yes. Um, and did all those things, had a wife and a family and that sort of thing. Tell oh, me yeah. about Carolyn. Where did you meet her? Um, you're obviously aware of your your own internal truth. How did you reconcile that with moving forward in that kind of a relationship? And then eventually a heterosexual marriage with children and the whole nine yards. Well, uh, believe it or not, I knew Carolyn when I was, well, I grew up with her. Okay. Uh, my mom and dad knew her mom and dad. Uh, being, being Catholic, we, we know Portland around parishes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot, lot of, it's a Chicago thing, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, at um, any rate, the, the, the thing is, is that uh, she was old. Uh, Carolyn grew up in, in my dad's old neighborhood. So, and her aunt and uncle and, and grandpa and grandma and so on, they all knew my dad. But at any rate, um, her dad died. And so it was, we were six years old going down to see where he, he had drowned in the in Willamette River. Mm. We wanted to go down and see where she, he had dried. any rate, I was sitting in the back seat with between Carolyn and her, her younger sister. 
I was mad as a hornet because I wanted to be in the front seat. Mm-hmm. But but inside, inside, I knew that Carolyn, there was a special relationship between Carolyn and myself. Mm-hmm. I knew it then. And so in high school, I dated around, but I also came back to dating Carolyn. In college, I dated all different kinds of girls out there, but I always kept coming back to Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, go on for a master's degree at Portland State, and I finally end up, finally, you know, kind of got through, finally got through the concrete in my head that says, come on, come on. There's a little more going on here than than meets the eye. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, finally screwed up enough courage and asked her to marry me. <laughs> and okay. the comment was, it's about time. <laughs> right, right. So <laughs> as you kind of approach that, um. Where were you at in terms of, like I like I said, you know, reconciling that with who you knew you were? Did, did she have any? She, well, I if didn't you, know if you, she, she, I, Yeah, if she, if, she, if she knew you that long, she, yeah. do you think she had any ideas about it? No, no. I I I uh, pretty much kept this thing uh, buried. Okay. And in fact, uh, uh, when we first got uh, when you know when we were dating heavy and, and and during the engagement and then finally getting married i mean my focus was on her right and uh and we've definitely both wanted family uh yeah it, and it's interesting because all the way along even growing up uh i did not i wasn't the kind of guy that used to love to go out and just wrestle around mm-hmm. uh i you know that that kind of guy thing that we did that did i'd go out in the backyard and i'd lay down on the grass and i just uh quietly lay there and open up the grass and just watch whatever would come through the grass mm-hmm. um i enjoyed uh i can remember one time when i was a small child the next door neighbor she says come on let's play house I'll be the mom, you be the dad. And I kept thinking to myself, why can I have to be the dad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then coming up, uh, of course, getting married, we wanted kids. And uh, I wanted, we we both wanted kids. And so uh, uh, those were kind of heady days because uh, I was working on my master's degree. I'd been accepted for my PhD down at New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got married between that period of time when I graduated with master's and then starting PhD, we drove from Portland down to Las Cruces. Well, that was that was a special time for us. That was um, basically it was our honeymoon, but it was moving us down there. Right. And then and then, of course, starting a family and so on. But the other thing, too, is, is I found that. Um, I really, I did all, I started doing all the things that I wanted to do as a woman. I loved being around my family. Uh, right. I took care of the kids. Uh, and maybe many dads have done this, but I was there all the time. Even when Carolyn was there, I was, I was working with kids, doing something, washing diapers, watching them, 
uh, reading to them, playing outside, uh, just being around family. And that's mm -hmm. what I always, that's what I really and truly wanted. Um, right. So I, and, but even during that period of time, I found that I would want to wear women's clothing. And right. uh, I would, I would wear maybe women's underwear because I was too embarrassed about wearing anything else. Besides sure. that, I felt like I was stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, and so I didn't want to wear anything like a dress or anything like that. But, uh, but women's un underwear, I could wear because I could hide it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how long were you married to Carolyn? 49 years. Congratulations we on that. What's that? Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, we were 11 now, days shy of going into our 50th. Which hmm, passed. Yeah. Um, so that's a long time. And was there ever a moment during your marriage with her where you kind of realized you needed to share your truth with her? And how did you it, work through that? It was, well, let's go through her health and what happened with Carolyn. Okay, sure. In 83, uh, well, she'd always had a bad back and she got hurt. She's a nurse. She was a nurse and um, she had hurt her back while I was on the job. And so even when uh, we first got married, she had a bad back. Mm -hmm. So she, we would periodically, her back would go out and then we'd have to, I'd have to take care of Carolyn and the kids and, and, at that time, we'd be—I'd even be in school, so I'd have to go to school. So, anyway, um, uh, but in 1983, uh, she was involved in a very serious auto accident, and actually, she died for 30 minutes, hmm. and uh, that put her into a total and permanent disability. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Two years later, she came down with multiple sclerosis. This is like 85, 86. 85, 85 yeah. was the first symptoms of uh, multiple sclerosis. Okay. And about three years after that, she was going up for a, a test run at OHSU to try and get on maybe some of these beta tests. And they took her blood and they said, no, we can't use you. In fact, we are actually recommending that you go see an oncologist. And she says, why? She said, they said, because your platelets are so high. You are astronomically high. You've got to go see a doctor now. So she did, um, started seeing an oncologist. Well, it turned out that the platelets uh, were so high that had we not done anything within a very short period of time, she would have died of either a heart heart attack or, or a stroke. So my caregiving started in 1983. Okay. I had been caregiving up till that time, but she was up and mobile around and doing things and actually working as a nurse and so on. But it was after 1983 that I started really being a caregiver. And then of course with multiple sclerosis coming on and the symptoms of that, not being in, being unsteady, uh, sure. not being able to walk very well, uh, the pain down her leg. Then she started taking the medications to help counteract the pain. And that put her into, unfortunately, an addiction. And so okay. she was addicted to Oxycontin. Mm. 
but she, but she had to stay on oxycon because of the pain yeah and uh the caregiving started in earnest in 1983 and it kept getting just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Right. Uh, and then finally, of course, the last 10 years were pretty intense. The last two years were really intense. And of course, that last year was was right. incredible. And she, and she passed when again? May 5th of 80, 18. 2018. Okay. 2018. So like 35 years you were. 35 years I was a, a caregiver. Right. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, God bless you for that. That that had to be rough. Um, and so I think you'd mentioned in one of our previous conversations, too, that she was also struggling at the end with dementia. Yes. Yes. And so. Uh, and, that, and because of that dementia, I could see her mentally going downhill, especially, mm-hmm. oh, maybe about 80, 85, 86, 87. I could see her beginning that that dementia. And I didn't want to say any, I had an inkling as to what was going on with me. And in fact, it's been, it was about 20 years ago that I said, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to go online and find out what's going on with me. And then I found out the concept of transgendered and everything that I started reading, everything started falling into place. So then I knew. Right. And I had uh, a title to put to it, but I didn't want to come out with Carolyn because I was afraid that it would, I didn't know how she would take it. It was, uh, it was just one of those things where I didn't know how to reach her. Well, fast forward, I started wearing women's, uh, at least underwear. And so I think all the way along, she kind of sensed that I was transgendered. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had come out and said I'm transgendered, it would have, um, she would not have been a surprise. Right. But she also had a deep fear of, because of her dad's death, she had a deep fear that I would desert her. And I had no intention to do that. There was nothing. I mean, she was my uh, whole world. And with the kids, they were all my whole world. So no, no way, Jose, am I going to desert Carolyn. Right. But So uh, you, you push it down again and again yeah, yeah. Um, for her well-being. So then after she passed, what led you to finally just kind of go through the door, so to speak? Um and what did you struggle with? How did your children and friends deal with it? Talk to me about that. That was that was that was a great time. It was a difficult time. Uh, scary, mm-hmm. very scary, because uh, I didn't know. Um, you know, for the for about 15, 20, almost twenty years before, well, before she died, um, I would keep it quiet. Was very mm-hmm. quietly doing things, but um, after she died, I just said, "Enough is enough. I'm I'm going to I'm just I'm going to come out." Right. I screwed up enough courage to ask my daughter. I thought, "Okay, I'll start with my daughter." And I said, "Sweetie, I'm transgendered." 
there was this kind of a blank and then she says okay she says i'm with you all the way i'm gonna i'm your best support Mm -hmm. So fortunately, I found the support being with my my immediate family, uh, my two sons and my daughter. Uh, they both were are very supportive, and and uh, their well, their wives and and, so, and husband are also very supportive. My grandkids are also very supportive. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm going to screw up enough courage to go and ask my my doctor because I need medical advice um, right i said to my uh primary physician i'm transgendered and she looked at me and she says i will be back of you i am going to support you whatever way you need to be supported okay one down that's another one down so i go to a gynecologist and she's the one that put me on on um, estrogen and, and but she says you need to get um counseling so i try to find counselor boy is it hard to find a counselor that fits right. out there finally after about a year i found a counselor and she's been great right so and you know what elizabeth you are so lucky probably unlike some people who come out who tell their immediate family, their loved ones or siblings, and they don't get that reaction. Oh, very definitely. Very, very fortunate. Very fortunate. I mean, in, in my family, um, I came, <laughs> I came out one Christmas when we had a big family get together. Wow. That was, that was the, that was great, but it was also a mistake. My sister, my sister-in-law, uh, whom I consider to be my sister, I thought would be very supportive. Mm -hmm. And she turned around and totally turned around and said no. And in fact, she called me on the on the telephone and said, this is a tough telephone call, but she says, I'm calling to say goodbye. Wow. Yeah. And, and that was hard because she had been with me through Carolyn and right up to the very end. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought she would be with me, but she wasn't. Um, so you, what about outside of your family? Did you come out to anybody outside of your family circle? <laughs> well, sl slowly, very slowly. Um, uh, I, have, uh, I, I have a client who is also a hairdresser, and mm -hmm. she, she's been wonderful, too. And she came out and anyhow, we got a wig and I put the wig on. And so my first venture, my first was opening up the door and stepping out the door and watering. We have a hanging plant and watering mm -hmm. the hanging plant. Mm -hmm. And I went out there, watered the hanging plant, quickly went back in and shut the door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Didn't want the sunlight to hit you. <laughs> I, I scared to death, scared yeah. to death. Yeah. So then, then the next project was to go down and take the garbage down and, and take it to the can in a wig. Right. Okay. Screw up enough courage out the door, quickly walk down, run around the corner, put the garbage in the garbage can and quickly get back again and close the door. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> so, so you know, you 
you, you mentioned the issue with your sister-in-law and yeah. that had a hit hard. Oh, dear. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people outside of your family circle, probably a mixed bag, you know, uh, the looks behind your back or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, you had to have struggled mightily with your emotional health during that whole transition. Oh, um, oh, and so yes, ideations of suicide. Yeah. How did you cope with all of that? You had you met, you well, started to talk about your counselor. I'm my counselor, but now through my entire life, uh, of course, I as I said, I was brought up as a Catholic, but I was very spiritual through my entire life. And um, after Carolyn died, I really got into a spiritual life, trying to develop that and grow it, um, along with the counselor. But uh, and and you know, if if we're if I have any sisters who are are deciding that they might that you know they want to come out. My advice to them is it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when that deep hole, that depression hits. And it mm -hmm. does. And boy, when it hits, it hits hard. Oh my goodness. And I I remember going into that hole. I remember, I don't even remember what it was that triggered the hole. In fact, I think it was actually someone trying to give me good advice. Between just a combination of something, whatever it was, hit me and dropped me into that black hole. Yeah. And indeed, indeed, when I, I was in that black hole and hurting so badly, there was this white light kind of coming around a corner. It was suicide. Mm -hmm. And there I could see the peace. I could see the calm. I could see that I wouldn't hurt coming around that corner. and. And did you go so far as to start thinking about a plan? No, no, no. What I did is I, I, uh, uh, because of the deeper spirituality, I started praying. And in that prayer, um, well, let me, let me kind of stop here. My, my, what my vision is, is, you know, what I, my go-to vision when I get into deep problems Mm -hmm. is is that since i'm christian i'm i'm a small child walking with christ and uh there have been times when i run into those troubled times and i just all i do is just crush into him and cry yeah um and then i feel his healing hand coming down over my shoulder and i know i'm going to be okay that was one of the times when I crushed into him and I could feel that healing hand. And I was, it was weird because it felt like I was being pulled out of that hole. Mm -hmm. And then I did, I ended up on the top of the hole looking down and I, I knew I was okay. Sure. It was very quick, but that's another piece of advice I would give my, uh, my sisters out there is, to develop your spiritual life, whether it's being in nature, whether it's being whatever God you have. In my case, it's Christian. So Christ, of course, 
that to develop that deep spiritual uh, union with with your with God or with nature, mm-hmm. because I guarantee you that will help you. Okay, that leads me into this next question, which I was going to ask later. But um, you know, being raised Catholic and having lived as one throughout your life. Uh, I, I was raised Catholic at this point. I don't really consider myself Catholic. Uh, um, I'm, I'm thankful for the, the foundation it gave me for right. my faith because I am a person of faith, but I find a lot of hypocrisy in organized <laughs> religions and, you know, and here's, here's some of that hypocrisy. There's a lot of dioceses, And for those who aren't Catholics, that's kind of the, uh, Catholic word for district, more or less, right? Uh, of churches. So there's a lot of those that have banned trans people, among others, from receiving sacraments like uh, the Eucharist, take communion, um, last rites, marriage, all all that stuff. Baptism, baptism, baptism and confirmation. Right. The only sacrament right. left. Right, and you know. One of my mom's favorite lines that always has stuck with me is God never makes mistakes. Right. And so because there are trans people, gay people, people of every shape, color and form, none of them are mistakes. No, no. Um, And, you know, to me, if if we're going to really love one another and try our best to live in the example of Jesus. And I'm putting this in Christian context because that's how I was raised. Right. He's the role model, right? Right. Um, And judge not lest we be judged to coin another biblical phrase. um, All of those teachings that I learned uh, uh, of love and tolerance and acceptance, right? And now it's conditional. So that's, that's one of my problems with organized faith, right? It's pick and choose. Sure. So you belong to a parish, I'm assuming, for many years, mm-hmm. um, having lived in the same town uh, almost really since you were young. Did you come out to them and how did they receive you? If not, have you found a faith community that's embraced you? Yes. I, and and. The parish that I was in, um, by happenstance, it went through a great, great turmoil. And uh, the priest that they had in there was uh, not, well, anyway, let's put it this way. He kicked, I felt like he kicked me in the gut uh, about two months after Carolyn's death. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went to a different parish. And I came in and I said, and, that I and was, so sorry, did, did you come out to that priest? Uh, to, or to, what was the gut kick all about? The gut kick. No, no, I did okay. not. I just, okay. I just packed up and left. I just turned yeah. around and I walked out the door and I said, you know, the dust on the shoes and that I'll see you later alligator. Uh, yeah. anyway, I, uh, I went to a different parish and they were very accepting, very accepting. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> but the the interesting part 
This is where it gets really interesting, talking about your hypocrisy, because uh, there is a part in what we call our catechism, which is kind of a, it's uh, the rules and regulations of being a Catholic mm-hmm. uh, written for the lame person. Right. any rate, uh, the catechism in there says they have a keyword called mutilation. And that is one that they hang on for a lot of transgendered women who want to go further. In other words, have surgeries and go further into being a woman. Right. Uh, and it depends on, on where they are. In some cases, they have to go through that surgery. They just have to go through it. Uh, in other cases, not necessarily so much. Um, and yet they, the, the diocese that are so adamant are, all oh, they are cruel to anybody who's transgender. They've come down and out and said that they have had the surgeries. Right. Um, then, uh, but they're okay with, uh, you know, the, the men and the women who have had tummy tucks and face Right, right. And oh, by the way, we'll still cash the check you put in the basket on Sunday. Exactly, exactly. Oh, Father, listen, it's okay for my wife to go ahead and have that. It's not mutilation. Here's a check for $100,000. Right, right, (laughs) right. And, you know, I mean, that that just is the ridiculousness of it all to me is when the apostles spread out after Jesus was crucified and rose and all that. None of that was there. No. It was just some guy somewhere along the line got uncomfortable <laughs> because somebody different was near him. And, well, we need a rule about this now. Right. And, right. and it's, just, it's just craziness. Anyway. Anyhow. But so you yeah, found a good home for found your a faith. Good home. It's still scary. Yeah. You know, because I can um, uh, I can come in as as Elizabeth and I, I you know, I um, because there are still even those content, those uh, people that are in in the church. Uh, in other words, I've asked if I could be a minister with Eucharist mm-hmm. or a minister. Uh, we have a minister of the word, which is a, a lecture readings, readings, yeah. doing the readings. And they said, well, no, not yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even with, the, even with the church. Small steps. Yeah, small <laughs> steps. I've been an, I have been a Benedictine oblate at uh, Mount Angel Abbey for uh, about 40, well, 40 years. And um, so I go up for an oblate retreat, and I, I tell the priest up there, I'm having a, a face-to-face with a priest, and I mm-hmm. said, well, I'm transgendered. And he said, no problem. He says, We'll support you any way that we can. Okay, Father. Well, can I go become Elizabeth? No, your brother. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what part of it doesn't he understand? <laughs> so now if I go up to the Abbey, I have to be Brother Dominic. But I, I don't look like Brother Dominic, but I'm Brother Dominic. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe I could go up well, there Dominique. The, yeah, there you go. You, I was going to just say, change the name tag to Dominique. Well, the trouble is, is that I, I want to go up there as Sister Dominique, but it, it yeah, isn't yeah. going to work that way. Right. Sister would be a little bit too much, so I just change it to Dominique. Right, <laughs> right. 
Okay. So Elizabeth, now, since you've committed to your new life, um, there's been ups and downs, I'm sure. And, and, you know, people can be ugly and it seems like over this past 10, 15 years, ugly is in vogue. Um, and people are not afraid to lash out, uh, on social media or verbally and even worse physically. Um, you, you had, when we talked about having this discussion, a little bit of trepidation about threats and that sort of thing. So what I'd like to uh, ask is since you've come out, what kind of coping tools have you developed that you can share with others who might be feeling the same thing? And I think, especially here's the thing, you are 76. Yes. So you have a lifetime of experience and how to deal with the world. You know, you, you've seen a lot and done a lot and heard a lot. Right. I'm, I'm thinking about the person who's 18, 19, 25, who doesn't have that world life experience right. um, to fall back on. Doesn't and, have a, a lot of, may not even have the support of the family. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so what kind of coping tools have you learned and developed since you've come out that have been helpful for you that might be helpful for someone else? Well, first things first, I find my support system. And my support system is finding those that that will help and support me. Uh, if you're, you know, in 18, 19, or 21, let me stop here because I think it's easier to transition at age 21 to 24 in certain respects. For instance, social security numbers, um, insurance, uh, changing insurance. Uh, in Just your case, network, your network of friends. Your network of friends, your network of friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, uh, at being a teenager uh, can be exceptionally hard because a lot of uh, hormones at play already. They're in play already. And uh, if you come out, uh, you've got the problem of bullying, uh, being bullied by by people. And there are, you know. Uh, when you're in high school, you you can be the tiniest person in the world, and you can be looking at a guy that's six two six three, weighing two hundred and fifty pounds, and he's going to bully you. Uh, and then you want to be able to come out, you know, you want to have somebody support you. Uh, so you go over to the women and the women's side, and the women reject you. Mm-hmm. So here you are, all by yourself. As a teenager, it is tough. That is yeah. tough. And that's where a lot of the suicides have come in is, is that the kids go down into that hole, that black hole, they don't have a lot of the support to help them. And, uh, uh, and of course, they, they keep going with the suicide. And mm-hmm. uh, in that case, I would say you need to... You, well, first things first, if you have a tendency towards suicide, definitely keep the suicide hotline on, on yeah. tap. And we'll put that link in the episode notes. Okay. Okay. That would be great. Number two would be um, to see a school counselor. Uh, hopefully, 
well now with COVID and, and trying to get back in, but but go to if you have a teacher that is that is has your ear and, and you can talk to that teacher, see if there is someone like a school counselor that could help you. Mm-hmm. And and uh, they do have they do have groups that do meet for teenagers um, and young adults uh, in transitioning. And it's always, always nice to just know that you have somebody out there that's got your back. Mm-hmm. So uh, never and never give up hope as, as never, trite as that can sound and as hard as that can sound. You know, I think. Mm-hmm. There is always somebody who will listen to you. Yes. And no, and no, and and here's the other thing too, is is that know this, that those of us that are older, uh, that we will, you know, we've got your back. Even if it's in a matter of prayer, uh, trusting in prayer, uh, uh, that just in itself tells me that I'm going to, I've got your back. Now, if it's within an area that I can reach you, I would, um, mm-hmm. you know, and there are Elizabeth, other... Elizabeth, are there online, uh, trans communities that, that younger people or other, anybody who can reach out to, to connect with other folks? There are, I just haven't uh, kept up with them as lately. Um, and for the life of me, <laughs> This is the trouble of being 76 is you begin to start forgetting a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can't and I can't remember. There's this one hotline that is for uh, trans, but they do they do go into teen transition uh, for transgender teenagers. Uh, they do have that online. Um, yeah, we'll find that and put it in the notes as well. Yeah, and I can I can see the I can see the website, but I cannot remember the name of it. Okay. Um, a question. Have okay. you been bullied since you come out? I'm sorry, what was that? Have you been bullied since you come out? Uh, I've been sexually harassed. Okay. I have been. And it, it turned out to be a, a person I knew. And, and, and we were good friends uh, mm-hmm. for, what, 20 years. But and I don't think he even realized that he was uh, that it, it was sexual harassment because for him, I'm still the guy, right? And right. Uh, but uh, no, he um, what he did is he he wanted to he says, hey, can I you know now I've got I've got a uh, my breasts are good are big and mm-hmm. he says are they real? Can I see them? <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. And then he then he says, "Well, boy," he says, "I got this thing. It's it's, it's a uh, Zadar radar." Da, da, da. He says, "Boy, it can take all the hair off." And he pulls his pants down and shows the top of his penis. Uh, and I'm thinking, nice. oh, "Come on, nice. come on, don't go down this path." You serve dessert with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Moses! Oh, so I got back and I talked to my daughter. Yeah. I said, "I said." This guy did da da da, and she turned around and looked at, and had this look on her face and said, "You've been sexually harassed." Yeah, and uh, and oh boy, I tell you, yeah. There you go. So, but you never thought that would happen. I never thought that would happen. Not from a not from a fellow that I'd known. 
but because yeah. he'd said that he would he would support me and so on and so forth and yeah. da, 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 da. And then it comes well out. elizabeth i gotta tell you i got a lot of buddies that i support <laughs> but i don't think i've ever whipped it out for any of them <laughs> <laughs> so. thank you Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm just thank saying. You, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's a line that's been crossed. Yeah. Uh, you can't take that back, so to speak. No, no. Uh, Mike had yeah. caught in your zipper. <laughs> I couldn't resist it. I had to put a little, inject a little light, lighthearted comment in there. Uh, uh-huh. okay, okay. So that's, that's so, from somebody from Chicago. I'd expect that. Right. Right. No filter here. Um, so, Elizabeth, now that that was all kind of pretty heavy stuff. And how's your life improved since you've embraced your truth and introduced yourself to the world? Well, it's actually it was been a combination of my spiritual life. And mm-hmm. uh, and that has gone in enormous growth enormously. Right. Really, really and truly grown. Uh, um, I've, as I said, I've got a spiritual advisor as, as well. And I was. I was project. I was a project for her to begin with. Okay. Yeah. And then, we so? became, then we, then we, then we, well, she was kind of in training. And so I was her project. All right. All right. And, gotcha. and now we've become really good friends. So, uh, you remember, um, uh, short circuit, the movie short circuit. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Number five is alive. Okay. okay. So I, I come out and say, Hey, your number five project is alive. <laughs> she doesn't, she's not seen the yeah. movie. <laughs> right. Right. So she's just like the deer in the headlights, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, sister, you got to look at the movie. You got to get the yeah. connection here. Number five is alive. Yeah. So yeah, I call her her, her favorite project. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're kind of closing in on it, but I have I have one other question. It's kind of off the Elizabeth story. Okay. But that I would really value and probably a lot of listeners would value hearing uh, the perspective of a transgendered woman on this. Now, towards the end of last year, a a collegiate swimmer, Leah Thomas, was all over the news Mm. because she's transgendered at the University of Pennsylvania, and she was swimming on their women team, and she absolutely shattered some swimming records. Uh, She got a lot of heat for it. Some of her teammates were coming down on her for it. Um, The argument being that she still has male physiology, which makes her stronger biologically. Just that's a fact of life, right? And then also a couple years ago, there was a transgendered woman weightlifter who was ultimately stripped of her records for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't ever hear the opposite of it, where a transgendered male goes into a men's sport, say baseball or tennis or whatever, and breaks men's records. If there's a case of it, we haven't heard of it. But my guess is that's only a matter of time, considering how advanced training and nutrition is. Right. Um, right. It's going to happen. So. As a transgendered person and one who was very athletic and into sports, what's your take on that situation? Should someone like Leah Thomas have her records straight up with an asterisk? Should be stripped of those records or should trans athletes be in their own leagues? Oh, that's a good question. 
Um, I would, you know, without going into much of the detail with, with, uh, uh, I can't, now I've lost Leah. Her first name's Leah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, because I am, I'm going to have to make the assumption that she has gone through all of the surgeries. And then one of the things that makes a male athlete an athlete is testosterone. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go through the surgeries, you have your key, the key producer of testosterone is cut out, gone. Right. Now, there is still a little bit of testosterone being created by the adrenals, but for the most part, it's gone. Right. So you are now on. on your, your muscles model. are not going to be as big. No. As no. a male. And I get that. But there are trans women who have not gone that far right. and who are in participating in these sports? Um, that's a hard question because uh, the, again, it's the testosterone that, that's present and it may very well be that what you'd have to do is you'd have to figure out the, the I, well, one thing for sure, we don't know enough about transgendered Right. We have no clue. Uh, I took, a, I used, as you know, I was a biology major, and I've taken right. about four or five different courses in physiology. One of the keys that has come out is, is that we don't know anything. We know a lot, but we don't know a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot more to figure out. And uh, to have someone to have worked as hard as she worked and to have those awards stripped away from her, right? I think is an injustice. Well, and then here's the other part of that. The, the parents of the straight female athlete right. who came in second, who worked just as hard yeah. their whole life. This was goal for them just as well. Uh, you know, fair's overrated in my opinion. <laughs> um, and sports is about winners and losers. Yeah. And no matter what, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. But do you feel that that is a little bit of an uneven playing field for that young lady who has trained for 18, 20 years to compete at that level? Right. And then they're faced with that situation. That's a hard question. That is truly a hard question because I still don't know the physiology of uh, Leah. It depend, depends on the physiology. Uh, again, what I'm trying to say is yeah. that uh, Leah's f- uh, physiology may be on a par with the other with the other uh, woman's physiology, right. and including the metabolism. Uh, we know we're still trying to figure out metabolic rates and metabolism. We're still trying to figure out the effect of, of hormones on, on the body. Uh, it, you know, the, the, what I would love to do is, would permit would be to find out more about the physiology, more about her biochemistry to see exactly how she fits in terms of, of this athletics. Uh, and then maybe, then once I've gotten all of this information again, then, then maybe come up with a conclusion. But right now to jump the gun and say that she, just because of the fact that she was male, she's gone through the surgeries, uh, that she still has uh, t- that amount of testosterone enough to be able to make her superior to other women. 
I don't know. I don't think yeah. so. So jury's out. Jury is still out. I think we need, I think from a physiological standpoint, we have a lot of work to do in this area. And everybody now wants instantaneous information. Well, this is going to take a long time because yeah. you, you have to go through so much different experimentation. It's dealing with biochemistry. You're dealing with, uh, uh, you know, all of the hormones, the physiology, and so on. It's a tough question. That okay. is truly a tough question. And I would all rather right. see, compare apples to apples. I'd rather see what metabolism is to her metabolism compare the metabolisms and see where they are. Okay. Well, I won't try to pin you down on it any further. <laughs> uh, well, I was just kind of curious to hear your perspective on it, which was yeah. great. And there's still the genetics that are connected with it. And it, genetics are, is another factor, you know, um, that XY versus XX chromosomes, mm -hmm. how much of that comes into play? You just don't know. Right. You truly don't know. Right. Oh, um, is it okay. would would Leah uh, be better off competing with males? No, not necessarily. Well, that's why I said should they should trans people have their own category uh, in these meets or leagues or whatever? Boy, that's another. I mean that that opens the door of. Um, discrimination, discrimination. Yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah. exclusion. Yeah. Uh, so it's a thorny road. Any way you go about it, but any way you cut it, that is a thorny road. It, yeah. When I heard that perspective of the female athlete, the, the woman athlete with two daughters, if my, neither of my girls was into playing sports really, but if they had competed I, as a father, I would probably honestly be kind of upset. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and would, would throw out that this is not a, a fair competition anyway. Well, but that, but that brings up an inter interesting point because, uh, there are some thoughts that maybe the, uh, East German swimmers in the Olympics for so many years were so mm -hmm. dominant who were doping. Were they, were they team? Well, and there's women? that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I remember all those yeah. stories and yeah. they were dominant. Yeah. So, so, all right. Well, as I said, fair's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, I think the situation we're seeing out in the world is what it is right now. Uh, it is. Um, I mean, okay. So 600 oh, years ago, we would have been burned at the stake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And everybody who was on your side would have too. Probably so. Yeah. So, uh, Elizabeth, I want to end on a light note. We're into the lightning round. Uh, these are a, a, a series of 10 questions, oh. quick answers. <laughs> um, it's based on the Pavo questionnaire from that show, um, The Actor's Studio. Okay. Ready? <laughs> What's your favorite word? Love. What's your least favorite word? Hate. What turns you on? Um, nice clothing. What's that? Nice clothing. Nice clothing. Apparently <laughs> the, what turns you off? Um, <laughs> looking at myself in the mirror and looking at my, the, the lumpy bumpies. <laughs> All right. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, I love music. 
Okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Do I hate uh, somebody in a car beeping, you know, honking okay. for no reason. Okay. Everybody's favorite. What's your favorite curse word? Curse word? Dead gummit. <laughs> okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I love, I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. I'm a doctor wannabe. Okay. What profession would you not like to do? Don't say uh, CPA. <laughs> uh, probably a psychologist. All right. Elizabeth, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hey, good job. Good job. All right. All right. Anything else you want to add for people? No, I think that that's about it. I, I, you know, of course, I've been working on this for what? Uh, a month and a half now of what I wanted to say, but, uh, right. you know, right. no, you've been working on it for 76 years, really. Well, it's for 76 years, but, uh, for, for us and for yeah. our, our podcast yeah. purposes of, you know, a month and a half. And I was getting into all of the, this and that and the other thing. Right. And I'm thinking, right. Yeah, coming right down to it, uh, you know, just my best word for my my tra transgendered uh, brothers and sisters is just hang in there, hang yeah. in there, get that support system going. If you need to reach out, reach out. Uh, there's always someone out there that can and will be willing to to, to have your back. So right. Well, Elizabeth, I really want to thank you for sharing a lot of this really personal stuff. Um, with the hope that it maybe will resonate with somebody who is struggling through their own transition. Um, I'm, I'm happy for you well, thank to you. have finally really become yourself. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just thrilled that you were able to share this and, and again, hope it, it will hit the mark with somebody. So well, that would be wonderful. Uh, appreciate it. You bet. You bet. Oh, just one question. Um, yeah. If somebody wanted to reach out, uh, would they reach through you? Is that correct? In terms of what? Oh, just uh, somebody wanting to maybe to, reach some help somewhere where we, you know, you could... we'll we'll put we'll put some um, information in the episode notes. The suicide hotline. We'll figure out what that uh, uh, hotline was for teens. Okay, I can um, I can help you there. Any other links that you want to share, just send them to me offline. We'll add them. Okay. And uh, yeah, if if anybody uh, out there who's listening, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review You Don't Say wherever you listen to podcasts and share with family and friends. And your feedback is welcome on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at YDS Stories, and LinkedIn at Drew Zagorski. So that's where they can contact me. Excellent. Um, if they need a resource and then I can get in touch with you and we can hook them up. Great. That'd be wonderful. All right. Thank you. Drew. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm Drew Zagorski. Thanks for listening. You don't say peace. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to tell, shoot me an email to info at you don't say dot net. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at YDS stories. Thanks again and see you on the next episode.